And welcome to everyone. Happy New Year. Seems that uh, 2021 was barely started and the year went by so fast. Okay, so we are continuing the book of Romans. Uh, the book of Romans is one in which the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Rome and he is introducing the idea that the righteousness of God is manifested in the gospel. We are in chapter 1, and as Paul is developing the theme of his, of his introduction to the Romans, he is telling them and warning them from idolatry, because idolatry will lead to a particular lifestyle. And we're going to see this. Um, this is a, a two-part uh, sermon that I've titled Idolatry and Deviancy. So when humanity exchanges the truth of God for a lie, it has consequences in our everyday lives. And what Paul specifically emphasizes that those consequences are, are in the area of sexual perversion. We're going to see how that plays out to a generation that rejects God and basically wants to go their own way rather than following the ways of God. So if you are able, let's please stand. And we're going to read from Romans chapter 1, verses 24 through 27. And the inerrant word of God reads as follows. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we study your word this morning, we ask that you would guard our hearts from idolatry, yes. which will for sure lead us astray into following the passions, the evil passions of our hearts. Lord, may you shine the light of your gospel into this topic of ungodly sexual conduct. For it is a, an area of, of our lives that at some point we are either in it or we have been in it, Lord. May your Holy Spirit convict us so that we may follow what you have told us, Lord, in your word. That we would honor you and honor our bodies. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So I titled the sermon, as I mentioned, Idolatry and Deviancy, Part 1. So how do we get to the, um, to the place here where Paul starts to flesh out the issue of 
basically sexual perversion when people reject the truth of God. How do we get here? So Paul is unfolding his main thesis he in Romans that the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel and that the wickedness of man is under condemnation. The disobedience, uh, the rebellion of man causes God to condemn that. Now, as Paul is telling us, as he said in verse 16, that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. In that, Paul immediately will tell us that as God exposes sin and saves people, the natural response from people is to oppose, to reject the knowledge of God, to reject the gospel itself. And the Bible tells us that when this rejection happens, there are consequences. The key here then is that rejection of God leads to idolatry, which leads, which leads to deviancy, specifically moral sexual perversion. And that's going to be the three points we're going to touch today. Rejection of God, leading to idolatry, leading to deviancy. Okay, so let us take a look at the first point, how the human rejection of God happens. Verse 24 reads, Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. So this passage is following a thought pattern. Paul here says, therefore. That means that something came before that. What is therefore? Therefore. That God will give over some people to the lusts of their hearts to practice these types of impurities. Dishonoring themselves and dishonoring God. But we should ask, what leads to that? And our brother Eric, two weeks ago, preached on that. Let us take a quick look at what came right before this. Romans 1.18. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth of God. So this is what it says. Every human being, because of our fallen nature, just as it is natural for water to run downhill, in like manner, we naturally suppress the truth of God. I don't care who you are. At one point or another, we've done it. We suppress the truth of God. We see here in the book of Romans that God has given us revelation. And it's talking about general revelation, meaning creation, the cosmos, that God has created everything that we see. And this creation itself attests that there is a creator. And as humans, we should implicitly know this. But yet, we reject it. We suppress that truth. And then we are also given special revelation. Special revelation is the word of God. And what Paul is saying here is that Humanity, because we are fallen, we reject both. We reject general revelation to acknowledge God, 
And we also reject special revelation. We reject the word of God as foolishness. Romans 1, 22 and 23 read as follows. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. So here it says that claiming to be wise, that indicates pride. I know better. I, I don't need the revelation of God. I don't need the word of God. Like I'm okay. Pride. Then he says they exchanged the glory of God. The place that belongs only to God as creator has been given to something else. That is idolatry. Putting something or someone else in the place of God. This exchange translates into a particular lifestyle that is the result of rejecting God and his commands. So the truth of God is suppressed. The word there, suppressed, in that context, it means to hold in restraint or to keep within limits, conceived of as physically holding something down. One of the best ways that I've heard this explained is as follows. It says that humanity, us, in our natural state, we suppress the truth of God. Think about grabbing a beach ball and holding it down underwater. When you do that, no matter how long you try to do that, at some point it's going to come back up. It is that same idea that the Apostle Paul is saying here that it doesn't matter how much humanity tries to suppress the truth of God, the truth of God is going to come up again and again and again. And we cannot escape the truth of God. Two examples specifically to our text today would be that God designed sex to be enjoyed in the context of marriage. But humanity says, no, I want to exchange that. I'm not married or I won't get married and I want to be involved in as many sexual adventures as possible. Then who are you to tell me otherwise? Now, by and large, this is the message in our society. Exchanging the truth for a lie. How's that working out in our world? A more general example would be God's overall plan for humanity, as the catechism reads, would be that we should glorify and enjoy God forever. What is the response overall of humanity? No. I don't, I don't want to enjoy God. I don't, I don't even believe in God. I will pursue my own interests, my own passions. And will seek my own way to have peace in life. And this could even be in false religions, right? I will do as much as I can in order to seek peace with God, right? By, by works, basically to gain God's favor. It's never going to happen. So in those two examples, or a variation of those, or anything in between, we see that people can exchange the worship of Jesus 
for chasing something else, some other worthless pursuits. Proverbs 12.11 says as follows. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. So here we see the idea that exchanging the truth of God for a lie will inevitably leads us to a life of worthless pursuits. The human rejection of God then is due to the natural human condition. I've listed a few things here about the natural man. What does the Bible tell us about the natural man? It tells us that the natural man has an evil heart. That the natural man is a slave of sin. The natural man does not seek for God. The natural man cannot understand spiritual things, is an enemy of God, and is actually a child of wrath. This is what scripture tells us about the nature of our humanity. It will make sense then that under that condition, we reject God. I don't want nothing to do with God. It makes sense then also that we will not worship God as creator, but instead we'll turn to idolatry. Giving the place that belongs only to God to something or someone else. That's why the text says that God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. That word, the lust, that is to be followed, that is to be executed, that is to be fulfilled by a wicked heart. It is described as, the definition of that word, an inordinate, self-indulgent craving that displaces proper affections for God. See, the passions, the desires that we should have for God, we've replaced that with evil passions, with lusts. And that leads to the next point. The rejection of God leads to idolatry. Romans 1.25, it says, Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Rejecting God, worshiping something else. That could include images, but not limited to images. It could be the pursuit of power, pursuit of pleasure, drugs, alcohol, gluttony, or any self-indulgent lifestyle available to us. Perhaps the pursuit of, you know, fill in the blank. Whatever is going to hold you back from seeking God. Or it could even be as I was thinking, it could be the pursuit of laziness, nothing. No, nah, I'm not going to chase after nothing. I'm too lazy. I'm just going to do nothing. That in itself is also idolatry. So Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says the reason why we turn to worship other things is because we have exchanged the truth about God for a lie. 
when it comes to seeking the ultimate meaning and purpose of life, every other system will fail. Any other way of self-fulfillment that is not Christ will fail. Any other religious system that is not putting Jesus as God in the flesh, as Savior, will fail. Exchanging the, the, the truth for a lie. And here Paul is advocating for the truth as revealed in Jesus Christ. He's very specific, as we will see in the book of Romans. We can see that Christianity is welcoming. The call is to everyone, but yet it is exclusive. You have to come only through Jesus. Christianity is also unifying. All believers are unified in the true Jesus. Yet it is divisive because not all have the true Jesus. And then Christianity honors God's creation. Right? We honor each other. We are made in the image of God. However, we are to honor God above all. He is the objective standard. We have to keep that in mind so that we do not exchange the truth for the lie. But what happens? Most people have exchanged the truth about God for a lie, either under the pretense that there is no God or that there is more than one way to God or that is, that's good for you, but I will follow my own morals. Or perhaps if God does exist, you know, he's going to give me a pass. I'm going to be fine. But where is our culture really headed to right now as we see it? When it comes to exchanging the truth of God for a lie. Where are we really? I would suggest that by and large, our culture, our society, tells us that not only is there no such thing as God, but they actually hate God. And anyone who associates themselves with God. And that is with the true Jesus, right? Because if you come up with this weird religion, worshiping pagan things, you're going to be welcomed. But the moment you proclaim Christ, then you're in trouble. In this context of the truth of God being exchanged for a lie, Paul tells us that God removes his restraint so that we can then go ahead and follow our wickedness. There's a similar passage there in 2 Thessalonians 2.11, which reads as follows. It says, Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false, in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. See that? Pleasure in unrighteousness. Rejecting God is idolatry. In this idolatry, God is letting the human heart go at it. 
unrestrained. And as we'll see now next here is going to be God will let the wickedness of the human heart have at it in the aspect of sexual perversion. That's the third point there. Human deviancy. Specifically, the twisting of God's purpose for sexuality. Romans 1, 26 and 27. It says, For this reason, right, they exchanged the truth for the lie. God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. So here it is. God is giving over the depravity of men and women to indulge in the wicked lusts of their hearts. Now notice, God is not forcing anyone to sin, but rather removes the restraint to allow the sinful heart to indulge. One of the ways that I could think about this is if any of you own dogs or have owned dogs in the past, sometimes when dogs are not right, they will throw up and they would want to eat their own throw up. Or sometimes dogs will poop and they want to eat their own feces, right? And if you're a loving pet owner, you're going to want to restrain them from doing that. That's not good. But if you let your animal go, it is not likely that the dog would, you know, realize, man, that's not, like, what am I doing? That's, that's not good. <laughs> no way. He's going to go have at it. In such way... is the sin of sexual deviancy when God removes the restraint. He's not forcing anyone to sin, but rather is letting them go to indulge in their depravity. And that is done by nature and choice of the people indulging in such things. So then, what specific, of, what specific kind of sin is common when God is rejected? Here, specifically, is sexual sin. The sin of homosexuality and lesbianism. Now, to be clear, someone who falls into this idolatry of rejecting God does not necessarily fall into those sins, but fall into others, right? Fornication, adultery, lustful thoughts, and whatever the rest of sexual sins the Bible tells us about. But here specifically, it's talking about homosexuality and lesbianism. God has declared that he designed sex for the context of marriage, as restated by Jesus in the Gospels, right? One man, one woman, committed before God in a covenant of marriage for a lifetime. That is God's person. That is God's purpose for marriage. 
Anything outside of that is sin. Now, to some, this seems restrictive. Like, man, here you go, you, you, you know, legalistic Christians again. Why? Like, why does it have to be that way? Well, the design that God has for marriage, for sexuality, it is very important. It is a gospel issue. And it is not about us. It includes us, but it's ultimately about Him. It's the great, the great mystery that Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 31 and 32. It reads as follows. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. You see that? So the reason why God does not allow, why God does not give a free pass to the perversion of marriage or to the perversion of sexuality is because that is a picture of, of what is to come between Jesus and his church. Anything that deviates from that is a perversion of the design of God. And in this passage and several others in scripture, in no uncertain terms, this sexual perversion of men burning in sexual passion with one another, and likewise women doing, as it says, what is contrary to nature, it is condemned in no uncertain terms. The Bible calls these shameless acts. Now, that's what the Bible says. That's what God says. What does the world say? What does our culture today say about this? I'll tell you what they say. I'll give you a, a quick snapshot of what our culture says. From the public education system to celebrity culture to politicians up to and including the president of the U.S. to the vast majority of corporations and companies across this country. All those that manage social media platforms, which to one extent or another were part of the music industry, modern movies, as they are becoming more LGBT friendly. What do all these people, all these entities say about this specific type of sexual conduct? Do they think it's shameless? No. As a matter of fact, Endorsing such lifestyle is not enough. They actually advocate, accept, celebrate, and encourage such lifestyles. Now, some may say, well, you know, yeah, that could be true, but why, why you got to get so uptight? Just let them be. How is it going to affect you? Well, my friends... Specifically, if you're a Christian, you are not neutral in this topic. This is a gospel issue. Love and peace and ultimate acceptance is not found by indulging in sin while rejecting God. 
But rather, you're going to find that by repenting from sin and turning to Christ. Furthermore, we as Christians should be engaged in this cultural battle as our communities and specifically our children are being targeted to adopt and accept this garbage. I'm going to read you about three lines of a fact sheet from this entity called the National Center for Transgender Equality. And this, this applies to children K through 12. Quote, schools are required to treat transgender students according to their gender identity, including by making sure that transgender students have access to restrooms and locker rooms that match their gender identity, using the right names and pronouns for transgender students, and letting them dress in accordance with their gender. Unquote. What are some implications of this? Well, first is that if you're in this, in this case in the public education system, but also in, in the corporate world, if you're not on board with this nonsense, you will be punished up to and including losing your job. And there's no exceptions, uh, whether on religious conviction or otherwise. You are expected not only to condone, to accept, but to embrace this type of sexual dysphoria or whatever it, it may be in, in someone who is confused about who they are. Another implication, which is actually, in my opinion, even worse, is that this type of policy lets boys, pre- and post-puberty boys, play girl sports, essentially beating all the girls. But more drastically, it grants the boys, who say they're girls, access to locker rooms and bathrooms in which girls have no privacy. There was a recent case in Loudoun County in which the school district tried to conceal a sexual assault case that took place by a boy claiming to be a girl in a girl's bathroom where he brutally raped a ninth grade girl. Now, initially, the reports of this occurrence had been spun in a way that they said this father had come into the school board meeting and he was out of order and he was a bad guy. God forbid something like this hits our community or our church or our families. But in the world we're living, this is what we're facing. This is reality. This is definitely a heavy subject. There are 
plentiful, many more examples like this. All that to say is that we cannot be neutral in saying, well, you know, let, let those people be. You can't do that. Because it will affect you, your kids, your community, our church. There's this thing where they call hate speech laws, where literally the sermon I'm preaching right now would be considered hate speech and punishable by law. That's coming. So then what is the answer? Is there any hope? I mean, what if the folks that have turned into this type of sexual sin what if they genuinely feel trapped? What if they were raised in a Christian home? What if they even claim to be Christians? What are we to do? Well, the answer for them is the same answer as it is for you and me. It is to repent from sin and turn to Christ. Not to be affirmed in sin, but to be confronted with sin to turn to Jesus and be born again. Jesus is merciful. He is compassionate. He does forgive. But Jesus does not give a free pass for sin. And it is why Jesus says, you are forgiven, now go and sin no more. So we have sinned and we have looked at a, a small portion here, a, a snippet of rejection of God leads to idolatry, leads to sin, specifically sexual sin. Let us just reflect that this is not only for those people who are sinning against God. It is for them, yes. But also, it is for us. At one point or another, I have rejected God and his authority. And so have you. We all have. Remember what that was like? Maybe you are in disobedience rejecting God's authority right now. And you know you are. Maybe right now you're suppressing the truth of God. That he is to be Lord of your life. And you're trying to hold on to that... Think of the beach ball, right? Holding it underwater. Can't do it forever. Truth is going to come up. And if we are, it is a call for us to repent. The rejection of God also leads to idolatry. And some of us don't have to do that much digging to realize that I have been in idolatry. We many times think of, well, you know, those images and pictures and bowing down. Yeah, that's one form. But sometimes we can have our idols be a little bit more sophisticated than that. Money, job, business. And yes, lustful passions, right? Like the topic of today's sermon. And many of us, if we're honest, 
we know that we have gone through several rounds of going to these idols for fulfillment and we come back empty-handed. Rejection of God, idolatry, and then thirdly, following the passions and lusts of our heart. This is something that the scriptures warn us over and over again. That the life of a Christian requires perpetual repentance. Repenting again and again and again. It's what we call sanctification. Now if you are fighting the good fight as a Christian, you get hit, you fall in sin, but you get up. By God's grace and with the support of your brothers and sisters, you get up. That's good. That's what the Christian community is for, the Christian church. But perhaps there may be some that are unrepentantly following the passions and lusts of their heart. And mind you, this cannot only be just sexual lusts, right? This is the application. How does this apply to me? They could be sexual lusts, but not necessarily. A lot of time, the mind and the heart of, of males is towards sexual urges, right? Whereas the minds and the hearts of females may not necessarily be for sexual passions. But nevertheless, you may also be given over to the lust, to the wickedness of your hearts. Anger, pride, ego, not being quick to recognize your faults, not being quick to forgive, not being quick to ask for forgiveness, and feeling vindicated in your bitterness. See, that is also being given over to the lust of your wicked heart. Does it have to be sexual? We have to be reminded that that desire to fulfill our, our bitterness, to exercise our anger, as the scripture says, that the anger of man will never produce the righteousness of God. So where do we turn then? Rejection of God, suppressing his truth, leads to idolatry, leads to living a life of sin. Where do we turn? My friends, we turn to Christ. The one who knows our heart. Like I, I don't know your hearts, but Christ does. Turn to him. He can change your heart. He can change my heart. And also, we turn to the people of God, to the church, for confession of sin, so that we may encourage each other and counsel each other. In his infinite wisdom, God has placed his local church so that we will support and love each other as he perfects us and until he glorifies us in the day of the resurrection of the dead. Right? So with that, next week we're gonna do part true, part I'm sorry, part two of idolatry and deviancy, in which we'll see that the rejection of God 
is not only seen in sexual perversion, but also in the general depravity of the sinful hearts of men. And we're going to learn that not only those who practice those things, but also those that approve of those things are equally guilty. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we reflect upon your word, Lord, guard us, guard our hearts, guard our minds from idolatry, from rejecting your truth. Give us wisdom, Lord, to follow your, your mandates, Lord, to, to navigate this wicked and evil generation, which essentially calls good evil and evil good. Help us not to be just bystanders, Lord, but help us to be those that stand with your, with your word, those that stand for your truth, and those that graciously call sin what it is, Lord, with humility, knowing that we are also sinners and we are forgiven by your grace and your mercy. Be with us now, Lord, as we ponder in these things. In Jesus' name, amen.